All right, well, good morning again, everybody. Welcome to Calvary. We're so glad that you're here, whether you're in person or watching us online. Maybe you're traveling or you're out of town or you're sick or in the hospital. We're glad that you're with us on YouTube or Facebook or our podcast. Thanks for being a part of what God is doing here. We're gonna be back in the book of Matthew today. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Matthew chapter nine. We'll be there in just a moment. Last week, we closed out chapter eight. We talked about uh, the reality that we are living in a spiritual world. There is a spiritual battle waging all around us. Whether we can see it with our own eyes or not, there is a battle between good and evil, between the powers of darkness and the powers of light through Jesus Christ. Now, here's, here's the thing. If we don't engage in the spiritual battle, we'll become casualties of the battle. So we can just try and wish it all away and well, that's, not, that's for them to worry about. But we need to be engaged. But we read about at the end of chapter eight how Jesus came across the Sea of Galilee to the land of the Gadarenes and there he met two men that were possessed by demons. In fact, scripture says a legion of demons. And Jesus exhibited his power over the dark world. It's not a balance of power like you might see in Star Wars. Well, we gotta make sure there's enough evil to offset the what's right. No, no, no. Jesus has all power, all authority, and it's available to you and I too, by the way. So with one word, go, Jesus commanded the legion of demons to leave those two men, and they were instantly set free. They were instantly made whole. And it's an incredible story. And then as we move into chapter nine, we find a story about um, uh, four guys who bring their paralyzed friend to meet Jesus. They literally get him on this mat. Each of them takes a corner of the mat, and they carry him. I don't know how far they, they carried him, but they carried him to Jesus. And the room was crowded. The house was overflowing with people, but they didn't let that stop them. They just marched right up the stairs. They tore a hole in the roof, and they lowered that man right down to Jesus. And if you were here two weeks ago, Kelly spoke a powerful message in our series called Reaching the One and how those four guys didn't let any obstacle get in the way of bringing their friend to Jesus. And she talked about how all of us have people in our lives that we need to bring to Jesus. People that don't yet know him yet. We, we can't let any obstacle get in the way of introducing our friends, those that are broken and hurting and sick that need hope. Bring them to Jesus. And she talked about how we need to serve. There's someone in our life that we need to carry their mat. It was a great message. And so uh, coincidentally, Matthew chapter 9, the first, first eight verses of that chapter tell that very same story that Kelly talked about just a couple of weeks ago. So we are gonna skip down to verse nine because Kelly's already told that story and I'm not gonna re-preach a message that she did a great job preaching. Didn't she do a great job preaching? Okay. <laughs> All right, so let's begin at verse number nine, Matthew chapter nine. As Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told him. And Matthew got up and followed him. 
While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have come not to call the righteous, but sinners. Lord, would you speak to us today through your word? We are ready to receive what you have for us. I pray that we would leave better than when we came. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so here we find the author of this book, Matthew, give his account of when he was called by Jesus to follow him. Matthew, uh, who the book of Mark refers to him as Levi, he is one of these tax collectors that we just read about. Now, tax collectors were the worst. Tax collectors were betrayers. They were traitors. They were widely known as people who turned their back on their fellow Jewish countrymen. In fact, they partnered with the evil Roman Empire to take taxes from their Jewish friends. So they had like a tax booth that would be set up in most towns. And so if you would go from uh, Middletown to Walkersville, uh, you'd, have to, you'd have to make sure to pay the toll in Frederick and then pay the toll when you get to Walkersville, right? So there's a toll booth set up, almost like you'd see on the highways, that to come into the town, you'd have to pay the toll. Now, the Romans set it up in such a way that the tax collectors... They could, they could charge whatever they want. Now, Rome might want $2 per traveler, but the tax collectors might charge you $3 or $4. Then the tax collector would take that dollar or two profit, keep it for themselves, give the $2 back to Rome, and so they would get rich quick. And everybody knew about it. I mean, the corruption was just wide open for everybody to see. Everybody knew about the corruption. And you can imagine that this made the fellow Jewish people really upset. In fact, if you were to choose this line of work, if this was your career of extorting money and snuggling up to the Roman Empire, you would be outcast from Jewish society. They'd say, hey, get out of here, scoundrel. We don't want none of your kind round here. They would be excluded from coming to the synagogue. They were outcasts from society. They wouldn't even be allowed to be a witness uh, during a court session. So these were notorious, dirty, rotten scoundrels. They were sinners that were to be avoided at all, all costs. Well, Jesus knows this about them he knows their reputation as tax collectors, yet, in spite of that, he walks right up to one of these tax booths where a man named Matthew is working, and he says, Matthew, follow me. See, Jesus sees where you're at. Jesus sees where I'm at. Jesus sees us. Now, when everybody else discarded Matthew and labeled him as beyond redeemable, Jesus loves him. Jesus sees him 
In fact, Jesus invites him into his inner circle. Now, I can, I can imagine that this would be a hard pill for the other disciples to swallow, right? No doubt this same Matthew has taken their tax from the tax booth. Probably time and time again, they probably had to shell out the money. On top of that, many of Jesus' disciples are fishermen. There's also taxes to be paid when you have a great fishing catch. So people like uh, Peter and James, they were probably especially perturbed that Jesus would invite Matthew to be part of their group. But Jesus looked past all of that. Jesus sees it all. He sees what we are now, but thank God he sees what we can be, right? He, he loves us just where we're at, but he loves us also that we don't remain there. He sees past what everybody else can see. He sees the external and he sees the internal. He could read Matthew like an x-ray. He saw inside of Matthew. He saw a man who was hurting. He saw a man who was broken. On the outside, Matthew had it together. Matthew had a lot of money so he could buy the finest clothes. He had the best transportation. He lived in a nice house. He had lots of wealth, lots of money. But on the inside, Matthew was hollow. On the inside, he was empty lacking purpose. Now, Matthew probably had a great view from his tax booth. So this is probably in the town of Capernaum. And so as, as Jesus' ministry is starting to, to, to swell and grow, I'm sure he's witnessing all these people coming and flooding to Jesus. And he's probably hearing some of Jesus' words, some of his sermons and messages. He's probably witnessing blind eyes being open and paralyzed people that we just read about that are, that are coming to, to new life and can now walk all the healings, all the miracles, and Matthew is probably intrigued by all of this. Now, he probably has some regrets, too. He's sold out his fellow Jewish countrymen. He basically sold his soul to the devil, the evil Roman Empire, in exchange for wealth and money. He's greedy, he's self-centered, well, Jesus saw it all, and he saw past all of it. He saw value and worth in Matthew. Isn't that beautiful? It's the same for you and me, too. Even at our worst, dirtiest moment, Jesus can see past all of that. He sees value and worth in every single person. So Jesus calls Matthew, he invites him, and how does Matthew respond? Well, we just read. He gets up from his tax booth, leaves the booth, and just starts following Jesus. We find no mention in Scripture of him hesitating at all. He doesn't let the comfort of the booth or the awkwardness that might come when he's, hey, disciples, I'm one of you now. He doesn't let that stop him. He just immediately starts to follow Jesus. Again, it's the same for us. When Jesus calls us, we have a decision to make. We can either stay in the booth, 
stay in the comfort or familiarity or our circumstances. We can stay in our sin. We can stay in our comfort zone. We can stay in our addiction. Or we can leave it all behind, start a new life, and follow Jesus. Now, Jesus saw where Matthew was at. And he sees where you and I are at. And yet, he invites us to follow him. When I was prepping for this message a couple weeks ago, I stumbled across an article online. You can look it up. A co-founder of a satanic church in South Africa left Satanism because he had an encounter with Jesus. It's pretty cool. You can read the details online if you want. But it just goes to show that the point we're trying to make here is whether it's Matthew or you or me or some satanic priest in South Africa, Jesus can save anyone, anywhere, anytime. That's a good place. Can I get a better amen than that? He can save anyone, anywhere, anytime. That's good news for us today. All we have to do is say yes, leave the booth, and follow Jesus. Amen. Watch this. Same world, Matthew. Next. Besides, what else are you going to do with a mind like yours? Matthew. Matthew, son of Alpheus. Yes. Follow me. Me? <laughs> yes, you. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Oh. What are you doing? You want me to join you? Keep moving, street preacher. Do you have any idea what this guy's done? Do you even know him? Yes. Listen, I said to What are you doing? Where do you think you're going? Guys, let me go. Have you lost your mind? You have money. Quintus protects you. No Jew lives as good as you. You're gonna throw it all away. Yes. I don't get it. You didn't get it when I chose you either. But this is different. I'm not a tax collector. Get used to different. I'm glad we passed by your booth today, Matthew. Yes. Shall we? We have a celebration to prepare for. You will regret this, Matthew. What's the tablet for? I grabbed it without thinking. You can put it back. No, no, keep it. You may yet find use for it. Where are we going? A dinner party. I'm not welcome at dinner parties. Well, that's not going to be a problem tonight. You're the host.
Come on, isn't that awesome? Whew. I got chills again. Every time I watch it, man, this is so moving. Matthew was scum. No, you saw Peter's reaction. This is different, this is different, Jesus. Well, what a great line that was, right? Get used to different. I think they took some liberties there in the scripture, but <laughs> get used to different, that's really good. He was the scum of the earth, but Jesus saw something in him. Jesus saw him as someone who would actually write the first book of the New Testament. Man, talk about a testimony. Talk about a turnaround. He goes from awful to author. He goes from low life to new life. That's the power of Jesus. Matthew left it all behind. He, he counted the cost. You just saw it. He severed ties with the Roman Empire. So his meal ticket to a life uh, of a posh lifestyle and riches, that was, that was gone. He left it all. At least the other disciples had fishing to fall back on, but, but not Matthew. He was all in. No turning back. No turning back. He had decided to follow Jesus, and such a conversion was worth celebrating. So Jesus and the disciples, they go to Matthew's house for a dinner party. Matthew 9, back to verse 10. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. One of my go-to translations is the English Standard Version. The ESV puts it like this. And as Jesus reclined at the table in the house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. I just like the way that that, that, that uh, gives us a picture of Jesus. It's kind of cool to picture Jesus having kind of a leisurely moment where he's Relaxing, he's reclining. Certainly he's been working hard, right? We've been, th we've been going through all the miracles that he's been doing up to this point. Ministry is exhausting and it's tiring. Him and his disciples are tired, but I love that he kind of pulls away and has some leisurely time here too. They're, they're having a party. Let's go have some fun together, boys. And so they go to Matthew's house. And so three things stood out to me as I was studying for the message from this one verse. And it's kind of a, just kind of want to use that as a, a, a reinforcement. This is why we slow read our Bible, okay? We give you a weekly reading, soap, scripture, observation, application, and prayer. And so I was kind of putting that into practice with this verse, and with this verse, we learn three things. One, Jesus likes people. Now, of course, we know Jesus loves us. He created us. But Jesus likes people, too. He finds people interesting. Did you know that Jesus finds you interesting? Some of you are real interesting, right? <laughs> Jesus finds you interesting. You're not just a lump of cells. You're not just some random person that just showed up out of nowhere. In fact, inside of you is the very likeness and image of God. You carry the DNA of your heavenly father. Jesus likes you. He finds you interesting. He enjoyed 
spending time with people like Matthew and sinners and tax collectors even before he called them to repentance. Jesus hung out with people even before inviting them to church. This is a good lesson that we can learn. Even before people get saved and come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, we should still get to know them. We should, we should learn about them, build a rapport with them, build, build some goodwill in them, get to know them. We like people. Jesus likes people. We should like people. So we should serve them, get to know them, have them over for dinner or campfire, give them, give them some s'mores or whatever. Jesus likes people. Another thing that I found from this scripture right here is Matthew immediately brings people to Jesus. Did you notice that? Now, of course, his circle of friends would have been very limited. He had been blacklisted from the community. He was despised. He was rejected. He was not invited to most of the social events. So his, his circle of friends is probably other despicable people like him, other tax collectors, other sinners, other unclean, unsavory type of people. But he brings them to Jesus. He had just found grace, and he refused to keep it to himself. You know, some of the most effective evangelists are those who have recently been saved. Some of the most effective people that are sharing their faith with other people are those that have just found new life in Jesus. Their life was a disaster. They were nearing the brink of the cliff, uh, about to fall off, until Jesus said, follow me. And they accepted that invitation and they were radically changed. They were radically transformed and they can't help themselves. They have to go tell someone about it. There is power in our testimony. There's power in your testimony. You know, when someone knows what you used to be, how you moved from lost to found, how you, how you moved from sinner to saint, and they see the change in you, like, man, you used to be the worst of the worst. And now look at you, you're so full of life, so full of grace and mercy and joy and kindness and all of that. When they see that, they're gonna wanna know how we got to that place. How can I get what you have? And so we've gotta be ready in that moment to share our testimony. I once was lost. Now I'm found. You see, we take Jesus with us. We take Jesus wherever we go. We don't just come to church on a Sunday morning, do our thing for 90 minutes, leave Jesus here, say, hey, Jesus, stay right here. I'll be back in a week. No, true followers of Jesus take him with them wherever they go. The people at Matthew's house, they were not church people. These were not churchy people that came to celebrate at his dinner party. In fact, going to church probably wasn't even on their radar. Life's fine, I'm good. Or maybe, maybe if they did find that, the, well, maybe I do need God in my life. 
It probably never occurred to go to their church because maybe either, either they weren't invited or maybe they were deemed as unholy or not good enough. Maybe they were even disinvited. So what does Matthew do? Matthew brings Jesus with him to his house where he introduces his friends to his new friend, Jesus. See, you and I can introduce people to Jesus even before bringing them to church. Now, this doesn't mean that we get now to uh, revert to our old way of life. This doesn't mean that we now get to, to go back to how things used to be. We don't have permission now to slip back into the, to the sin that we were called out of in the name of being relevant. Okay? Some people will use scriptures like this and say, hey, I'm just being like Jesus. I'm not going to the bar to get drunk. I'm just going to the bar to tell people about Jesus. After all, that's what, what Jesus did, right? He was just being relevant. That's not what we're saying here. Right? Jesus was able to be with people without sinning with the people. We don't have permission to slip back into our old habits of sinning. He was with them, but then he showed them a better way. He didn't let them drag him down. He called them up. He called them to repentance. It's one of the reasons why I'm so excited about Alpha in the fall. We're going to be able to bring people who don't yet know him to be introduced to Jesus, even before they might come to a Sunday service. Let's be in prayer about what God's going to do in Alpha this fall. See, we are called apart from the world, but we're still called to minister to the world. We have to find that balance. So quit your cussing, all right? All right, next verse. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? So here we go again with the Pharisees. They are the constant antagonists. The Pharisees, they are the religious people of the day. They are keepers of the law and all of that. They had a great relationship with the law but they didn't have a relationship with the God of the law. So for them, coming into contact with some people like Matthew, some of these tax collector likes, this would make them unclean. Sharing a meal with them at the dinner table, that would mean that now I'm associating with that person, I'm now identifying with that person. We can't have that. That is reason to disassociate from those kind of people. They viewed themselves as as completely righteous and pure and perfect. They followed the law, after all, or their interpretation of the law. They were the clean ones. They were the pure ones. Everybody else, they were the sinners. They were the heathens. But then this Jesus comes along, and he has such incredible popularity now Everybody's coming around to to see him and to hear him. He is preaching the word with power, with authority. There's incredible miracles and healings that are breaking out all around him. And this guy, he completely ignores and dismisses the Pharisees' rules and regulations. 
This makes them mad. Right? Their blood starts to boil with anger. They became so consumed with rules and lists and do's and don'ts. They can't fathom that someone who claims to be from heaven, this person who claims to be the Son of God, the Messiah, they can't fathom that a guy like this would hang out with deplorables like those people over there. They're despicable after all. Look at how they framed their their question. It was accusatory in nature as they're asking the disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? Now, when I read this question that's meant to criticize, when when I let that settle for just a moment, I actually am thankful for this. I'm thankful that Jesus was willing to hang out with tax collectors and sinners. Because you and I used to be one of these people here. This was, this was meant from the Pharisees to be a gotcha question. Why are they doing this? Why is your teacher doing this and going against our rules and our regulations? It was meant to, to get them. But this just simply opened the door for Jesus to reveal his heart. You see, Jesus is a friend to sinners. Jesus isn't repulsed by your sins. Well, that's not true. He's repulsed by your sins, but he's not repulsed by you. Jesus is not repulsed by people. In fact, he has compassion for people. He loves people. He wants to call them to a a better life. He wants to call them to repentance. And like Matthew and his circle of friends, you and I used to be outcast too. Paul wrote this in Romans 5.8, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. I am so thankful for a Savior who loved me even when I was in this category, even when I was a sinner. He didn't wait for me to get myself cleaned up. He didn't wait for you and me to check all the lists and do all the rules and and get all of that stuff in order. He loved us even before we loved him. The Pharisees had it all wrong. They thought it was be perfect, perfection first, then salvation. That's why they they questioned the disciples in that way. Why does he hang out with people like them? Next verse, well, on hearing this, Jesus said, so somehow, even though they're talking to the disciples, somehow Jesus gets word of this. Jesus responds by saying, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Whew, what an answer. Jesus is so good at dealing with these self-righteous Pharisees who are always trying to trip him up. I just love the way he's able to deal with these guys. He said, guys, it's not the healthy that need a doctor. It's the sick. Those who are well and healthy, they don't go searching for the hospital. They don't go searching for the doctors. 
But the waiting room at the ER is full of sick people who know they are sick and hope to see a doctor in hopes that they can help get them healed and better. The Pharisees weren't getting, they weren't understanding the principle that Jesus had here. And the irony is that they claimed to be the doctors in the scenario. They claimed to have all the answers. They claimed to have all the solutions. Yet the Pharisees, the doctors, they wanted to avoid any contact with sick people. Now, they were cool with, with sick people getting well as long as they didn't have to come close. As long as they didn't have to get near to the sick people because that would make them unclean. Isn't that ironic? A doctor can't help a sick patient unless he comes near to the sick patient. But these Pharisees, they wanted nothing to do with sick people. You figure it out, then maybe God will let you in. I can't risk getting your infection on me. So Jesus then goes and he tells these so-called righteous people, these so-called teachers of the law, they need to go back to the classroom and they need to correctly apply the scripture. You think you know all this stuff. You think you know the law. You think you know the scripture. But you're missing some important lessons and applications. And right in the middle, he quotes Hosea, the prophet from the Old Testament. He quotes actually from Hosea chapter 6. This one little phrase in the middle of what he's saying here. He says, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. Notice that's in quotes. You need to go back and apply this scripture, dudes. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. He's calling out their hypocritical nature here. You should know this scripture from Hosea, guys. You should know. Remember back in 1 Samuel? When God told the king Saul, you're no longer going to be the king. I want obedience more than sacrifice. These guys should have known that. These guys should have known in Psalms where it says, God would rather love and devotion to him more than burnt offerings and sacrifices. These guys should have known that. They should have known about Jeremiah and Micah and Amos and all the Old Testament prophets that had this very theme of God prioritizing love and mercy over sacrifice. Now, for context, in the book of Hosea, chapter 6, the Israelites were good at bringing sacrifice. But they had abandoned mercy. God didn't want their rituals. He wanted their hearts. So Jesus used that scripture, presents it to the Pharisees, and, and tells these self-important Pharisees that just like their ancestors, they had abandoned true love True mercy, true grace, true devotion to the Lord in exchange for empty sacrifice and rituals. Go back and learn the right lesson is what Jesus said. See, God would rather us have right hearts than right sacrifices. The Pharisees were, were so busy doing religious stuff that their hearts had grown cold to the God of their religion. And more than that, their hearts began to, to grow cold toward the people that they should have been ministering to. 
the sick, the lost. Their hearts had grown cold toward people like Matthew and his friends and the tax collectors and the unclean and the sick and the despicable and the outcast that needed a doctor. They missed out on all the fun too, by the way. It is fun when someone moves from death to life. It is so fun when someone who has lost is now found. Just a few weeks ago, we, we looked at how they celebrate when, when the lost sheep comes home, when the lost son comes home. Luke 15 is all about celebrating and having fun for the lost being found. When someone finds grace, it's cause for celebration. Divine mercy is cause for a dinner party. Yet the Pharisees would rather exclude themselves from the celebration. They'd rather withhold mercy. They'd rather throw a pity party and then brag about how somehow they're the real people of God. They could not tolerate the generosity of Jesus. They couldn't stand how he was so free to give forgiveness how he was so eager to love and extend mercy and grace and to heal them and to meet them right where they were at. So Jesus exposed their hypocrisy. Not only did they not know God, they completely missed the meaning of the scripture that they claimed to be so knowledgeable about. They completely missed it. Jesus told them and he tells us, he came for the sick. He came for those who can't really even help themselves. Then the last scripture, for I have not come to call the righteous, but I've come to call sinners. Jesus said, the very reason I'm here, the very reason I left heaven, the very reason I came to this earth was for people who know they need forgiveness. People who know they are sinners. People who know they are unclean and, and need to be made well. And then they welcome Jesus in. That's who he came for. The Pharisees, they just weren't in interested in this. They wrongly assumed that they were all ready to good to go. I'm in, I'm so holy, I'm so righteous. I keep all the law. Ironically, people who need Jesus most think they need him the least. They needed Jesus. They were the sinners in this scenario, but they couldn't see it. Jesus came for sinners. He came for people like you and me. In fact, before Jesus came to this earth back then, evangelism was not even on people's radar. It had been centuries since there was a prophet calling the people to repentance, calling for renewal, calling for revival. It had been centuries, except for John the Baptist, Jesus' cousin. There was no evangelists for generations. So religion had become lifeless and stale until Jesus shows up. Jesus came and changed all of that. He came to befriend sinners and then to call them to repentance. He called to bring them and show them the way from darkness to light. And the same God that extended mercy and grace 
to Matthew and his tax collector friends is the same God that wants to extend grace and forgiveness to you and me. Regardless of our past, no matter the bad decisions we've made, no matter the mistakes from our yesterday, Jesus came for people like you and me. See, sometimes we think that our past, we think that what we did back then disqualifies us from even meeting Jesus. Matthew just stayed back in his tax booth. I'm not even worthy to meet him. My past, my decisions has disqualified him. Matthew thought he was a lost cause until Jesus called him. Jesus says, I know your past, and I came to redeem it. He said, I have come to bring healing to those who know they are sick, and I have come to bring forgiveness to those who know they are sinners. People like Matthew, people like you, people like me. Isn't that good news, everybody? Aren't you thankful for that? Aren't you thankful for a Savior like that? Amen. Amen. I want to give you a moment to respond. Let's bow our heads, close our eyes for a moment. Let the Holy Spirit speak to you. Come on, just listen in one more moment to what the Spirit of God is saying to you right now in this moment. Lord, we're ready to hear what you have for us today. To most people, Matthew was a lost cause. Maybe you feel like that today. He was an outcast. He was viewed as irredeemable. There's no hope for you, Matthew. Some of you might feel like that in this place today. Jesus is passing by your tax booth. And he wants to invite you to follow him. And I get it. There, there's some comfort in your tax booth. I understand that. There's some familiarity there. You know the lay of the land there in your tax booth. It's kind of comfortable. You're kind of comfortable in, in your way of living. Maybe you even like some of the things that have a hold of your life. You, you, you kind of like being addicted to alcohol or pornography or drugs or, or whatever it might be. But can I tell you, there is more to life than the tax booth. Jesus wants to deliver you from the bondage that's in your tax booth. There's so much more life so much more joy and love and mercy and grace. So much more purpose. If you'll say yes to Jesus, leave the booth and follow him. And so today, I just would want to invite you. I don't want to have you leave this place without having an invitation to follow him. So if you're tired of the, of the tax booth, if you're tired of, of the deal you made with the devil, 
and you're ready to move forward in Jesus and have a, a new life, leave that old life behind and start following Jesus. We want to give you an opportunity right now to follow Jesus. So just in a moment, I'm going to lead you in a prayer. And all this prayer is doing, it's initiating a relationship with Jesus. That's what we're going to do right now. But when you pray this prayer, if you mean it in your heart, your life is going to be transformed. Not because of the prayer itself, but because you're choosing to follow Jesus. Okay, This is just the first step. It's renouncing the old life, repenting of our sin, and beginning our new journey, our new walk with Jesus. If that's you and you're ready to say yes to Jesus, to get out of the tax booth, would you just say a prayer like this? You don't even have to say it out loud. Just believe it in your heart. Say something like this. Dear Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. I've lived a greedy, selfish life. And I'm sorry. Would you forgive me of my sin? Thank you for dying on the cross and rising again for my sin. Today, I, I leave the tax booth and I choose to follow you. From this day forward, I will live for you. In Jesus' name. If you prayed that prayer for the first time or the first time in a long time, we want to help you. No one's looking around, but if you prayed that prayer, or maybe you didn't pray it, but you, but you, want, to, you want to start your new journey with the Lord, we want to put something in your hand. There's some hosts behind you that are gonna to bring to you a bag, and in that bag there's a Bible, there's a pamphlet that says, now what? Now what do I do? I've just made this decision to follow Jesus. What's my next step? It's gonna help you on your next steps. There's a card in there uh, that you can fill out your information so we can help you. If that's you, just raise your hand, hold it there till someone finds you. And while they're doing that, for the rest of us, you're a believer, you know Jesus, you've chosen to follow him, but sometimes you go back and you visit that tax booth. Sometimes you, you find yourself drawn back to, to the ways of yesterday. Maybe today you, you'd like to renew your commitment. Maybe you've even experienced some church hurt. You're like, ah, I knew I shouldn't have followed Jesus. I should just go back to the tax booth. I just would want to encourage you today don't go back to the tax booth. Choose today to follow Jesus. There's so much life. There's so much freedom. There's so much purpose when we follow Jesus. So if that's you, if, you, if you're going to commit your life to following him, um, whether it's the first time or, or you're a believer and you're ready to follow him, no turning back, can we all stand across this room today? Come on, everybody, let's stand if you're following Jesus, if you're all in for him. Lord, we thank you. We're all in for you, Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. Now listen, Pastor Sean's going to lead us in a song of response as he does. The prayer team's going to come forward. And as he does that, if you need prayer for anything, let these men and women pray for you and believe God for greater things in your life. Come on, Pastor Sean, let's sing.